Hello, my friend, and welcome to the Mark Stuchowski Podcast, the show that's all about helping you perform at an optimum level. I am Mr. Productivity, and it is my obsession in life to teach you how to be a more productive version of you. And one of the ways I do that is by inviting you to sign up for my free seven-day productivity challenge. Give me two minutes a day for a week, and I will teach you how to be more productive. Mr. Productivity is where you can sign up for the seven-day productivity challenge, mrproductivity.com. That's M-I-S-T-E-R, mrproductivity.com. Today on the show, Die Manuel. Now, this is a very interesting episode. We're going to talk a lot about health and fitness and sugar and how to get started on getting a better lifestyle into your life. It's an incredible value-packed episode. So grab yourself a journal, grab yourself a notebook. There is so much to learn here. Let's get to it. Di, welcome to the show. Hey, Mark. I'm uh, honored to be here. This is great. Well, it's honored to meet you, sir, because you are gen- really courteous enough to send me a copy of your book, which is a fantastic book. And yes, listener, I'm going to plug it right at the beginning. <sighs> Go pick up Dye's book. It's uh, Dye Manuel's uh, Whole Life Fitness Manifesto. You can have a healthier body, mind, and spirit in just 30 minutes a day. Folks, you get 24 hours a day. He's only asking you for 30 minutes. You can do this. So we're going to talk a lot about transformation, but... um Take about 30 seconds, 20 seconds or so, and tell us uh, who you are and what you do. Yeah, I guess, well, thank, thanks, of all, first of all, for the plug there, Mark. That was really cool. And, uh, it, you know, books are a labor of love. So it was a long time in, in the works, but uh, it was really nice to get that out there. Uh, you know, a bit about me, I, I guess when people ask me, like, hey, what do you do? I, I, my, my normal stock answer is, well, I'm, I'm a happy father and an engaged father of two beautiful teenage girls, uh, Chardonnay and Brie. Uh, we like to count ourselves a full-time family. And I've been dating my wife now two decades, 20 years. And those are the titles that actually matter most to me. And and then if we start looking at the the nine to five or, or some of the things that I'm most passionate about, it, it's really helping people with transformations. And uh, I've been in the wellness space now going on almost 25 years, uh, working fitness, nutrition, mindset, life coaching, you name it. I've had a number of businesses uh, in that space. But I just like to help people realize that they've got the power to choose change. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, that's really what I help people do. I'm a change facilitator. Let's, let's call it that. You know, I, I learned this in your book, but it, I had to hear you say it that I came from a similar background. I was married with two girls mm. and a lot of pink in the house, a lot of purple. <laughs> and so, uh, it's nice. Oh, I yeah. didn't realize that you had the same situation, a lot of, a lot of feminine stuff, but, uh, that's why I always love girls. Um, I, you know, <laughs> I remember when long, long time ago in another lifetime, you know, I was a, a youth leader at one of our churches here in Houston mm-hmm. and I always like to be the leader of the girls. Now you couldn't do that when you're in high school, but the younger kids, you could be girls. And someone asked me once, why do you want to be the girls? I said, well, I'm married to a woman and I've got two daughters. And it's just natural to me to relate to women more than guys. I don't know what it's like to have a son. And they go, oh, that makes a lot of sense. It's so true. And you know what? I don't know for you, Mark, but even before I had kids, uh, I remember when my wife and I started talking about having children together, I, I was really adamant. I, I wanted girls. You know, I, I don't know why that is, but uh, I've always felt that I wanted daughters. And, uh, and we were just fortunate enough that we did. We had daughters. And oh. so I, I've kept myself lucky. And every day I, uh, 
I really appreciate it. You know, I'm very grateful to have them in my life. And well, you know how they are. They really put a lot more meaning into what we do, right? Like, yes. It's, it's just amazing. And amazing I can't believe mine are 26 and 23. I'm like, what that happened? That is Fantastic. Those are people. <laughs> you know, <laughs> those are people now that I don't you know, can even reference them as kids anymore, but I guess they'll always be our kids in, in perspective. Yes. But uh, yes. yeah, wow. Wow. I, I still call my youngest my baby girl, and she's dead in 23. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, you're the last one. You're the baby girl. <laughs> and uh, one of the things is uh, I'll share a little something about myself. I don't think the listener knows about this. Um, mm. My youngest daughter, her name is Hannah, brags to her siblings that she's the only planned child. Oh. And <laughs> and she goes, when she found that out, she always rubs it in their face. I'm like, you're 23. Yeah, but dad, you don't understand. I get to claim I'm the only planned child. You guys, you yeah. and mom plan to have me. Well, the other ones were like, oh, I'm pregnant. But so she, she loves to always bring it up to her siblings. I think that's funny. That is pretty funny. Well, it's nice to have a differentiating factor, right? <laughs> yeah. And uh, well, I look at my girls. They were equally, uh, well, they were planned, but not really. Like my wife had an inverted uterus she also had uh, some cervical issues and and uh my mom as well as her mom uh, struggled and we're both firstborns and, and it was the hardest ones for our parents to have so we, we sort of were like well you know might as well start trying because we just don't know it could take 10 years like my mom took eight years her mom took almost a decade to get pregnant with her and so we're like oh, okay we'll just give this a go and what happens happens Anyways, a week later we're pregnant so <laughs> <laughs> away we go nice. and uh being young parents, but uh, I don't regret that at all. Nice. Well, we are recording this uh, the day before it was released. We're releasing this on February 27, 2020. We recorded this, obviously, on February 26th. And today, I have run at least one mile a day every day for wow. 912 days. I started the day after Hurricane Harvey left wow. Houston. And when people ask me, Di, and I'd like to have a little conversation with you about this, they're like, yeah. how did you run every day? And normally, it's like two to three miles a day. How did you run every day for 912 days? I'm like, like, well, I started with day one, then day two, which became day 20, which became day 100. And now I'm even stunned when I look at that because I use a Streaks app to track my runs. Uh, 912 days. And it only takes me like 30 minutes because you talk about 30 minutes in the day. I, I believe... I run because I love to run. Now, you don't have to run. You can swim. You can bike. You can yoga, whatever you want. I like to run. And I believe that people are becoming more sedentary as as we get into the you know 2020 2021 whatever and i think people need to realize that yeah technology the social media and the emails great but you still need to move i i always tell people that jesus never took an uber he walked everywhere and i think we need to realize that we need to move we were designed to move yeah we really were. I mean, when they look at some of the, well, paleontologists, when they start looking, and even kinesiologists, when they look back on the, the evolution of the human body, it, we are meant to move. Like we are very, in our very nature, our DNA, we've traveled actually long distances. And it was, our bodies were designed to be able to do that. And upwards of 20 to 30 miles a day from a migration standpoint back in the day. Now, of course, we, we do have the luxury of, of having well, Amazon Prime and same day <laughs> delivery. And, and technically, we don't even have to leave our homes anymore if we want anything. But it's really interesting to think that our bodies are capable and, and quite frankly, designed for that. And, and yet, uh, some of us struggle to get even a thousand steps a day. You know, and, and that, that lack of, of mobility and movement. Yeah. It, the, the, the old cliche, you know, you don't use it, you're going to lose it. Well, it's very true as far as it relates to muscle. 
as well as bone density. You know, it, if you're not doing something to constantly challenge your body to adapt and evolve and strengthen and condition, it will fade away. But we don't really notice this until we, we start to hit a certain age, you know, especially, you know, that mid to late thirties and onward, we start to see a slow decline if we're not doing something to be proactively fighting against that decline. I'm glad you brought up about 10,000 steps because a lot of people went out and got a Fitbit and it tracks their steps. Yeah. And I always yeah. had this thing about it. <laughs> You're supposed to move not just the 10,000 steps, just an arbitrary number. And yes. I'm so glad when I got my first Apple Watch, the Apple Watch encourages you to move and you can set the move goal mindset thing for 880. And then you have to exercise for 30 minutes a day and stand 12 hours a day. And it's not the steps. I, I, it's better for your cardio and your overall well being if you are exercising. Now, now don't, mm. if you're a sedentary person, please don't go out and start running marathon tomorrow. <laughs> go see your doctor first, but you need to start moving. And one of the things that really drove me to start running every day is my mom got diagnosed with late onset Alzheimer's. And because I'm mm. their only child, I got to talk mm. to the neurologist and I said, Hey, listen. I read this article on runnersworld.com that says runners, you'll stop you right there. You're going to ask me if you run and you, you know, take care of yourself, what you eat, may you never get extra, may you never get Alzheimer's. And I said, well, yeah, I didn't know your mind reader, but yeah, that was exactly where I was going. He goes, the science is showing us that we've been telling people from day one, it's diet and exercise, diet and exercise. He goes, how, how active was your mom? I said, not really. And she goes, How'd she eat a lot of processed foods? And he goes, well, that's why. And so I'm intentionally at 54. I've gone vegetarian. I think I've gone 165 days of drinking only water. I run every day. I'm always going for walks because when they told me, now there's no guarantees in life, obviously, but Mm -hmm. if I am purposeful of taking care of myself, I may never get Alzheimer's. And I think a lot of people go, well, it runs in my family. Well, he said, no, not really. It may run in your family, but if you're willing to break the chain, Well, you could break the chain. It is within a certain control of what decisions you make every day. I'm glad that you brought that up because, you know, and I got to commend you, Mark, like one, you're, you're a wonderful role model for people, but just by leading by example, like, you know, making a choice and then following it up with some very specific, but repeatable actions. And, and you've obviously, I, I would go as far to say you've now created a lifestyle, you know, there comes a certain point where it's, it's not a habit anymore. It's not even a behavior. It's just how you live. You know, like it's just what you do. And I I think that's the sweet spot that we can often find ourselves in when we make activity and just regular activity part of our everyday living. And then because then it's not really like, oh, I got to go work out. It's like, no, I'm just doing what I do because it makes me feel good. Now, yeah, the repercussions (laughs) from that kind of positive action are huge. And as you've noted, gosh, there's more and more science coming out all the time that that strengthens some of these arguments relating to, you know, if we live an active lifestyle, we have a certain amount of movement daily, we can see some of these these lifestyle conditions or hereditary conditions, well, they, they just stay dormant. You know, there, there's a whole science called epigenetics, which is this idea that our lifestyle, our environment, uh, some of the things that we're either doing or not doing can influence our genetic makeup to the, to the point that it can influence certain genes to turn on or off. And I think when we actually look at some of the trends, especially over the last 40 years, you know, like when I was, as a teenager, I was morbidly obese, you know, so I didn't come from fitness naturally. And I think back on it, it, it was a decision to, to change how my daily habits, obviously. And, and then I just had to stick to that to make those changes. But back then, childhood and obesity weren't 
even used in the same sentence most of the time. You know, I just, I, I was one of two kids in my entire school that was in that state of unhealth. Where nowadays, you know, and you're from Texas and, and not to point fingers at Texas, but statistically, you know, Texans, there's a large amount of people that are overweight or obese and not, they're not, I'm not singling them out. I mean, this is a common trend across the world now. I, I just came back from Indonesia and it's, it's startling to even see now these other people in, in these other types of countries that have now started to take on these high sugary uh, and, and very processed foods into their normal staple diet now and all of a sudden we're seeing these trends pop up or certain certain diseases like type 2 diabetes some in some countries it was never even was around before it wasn't a problem or all of a sudden it is and so it's all connected you know i think it's absolutely amazing but what you're doing mark specifically is it's not overly difficult is it like i'm just asking you like let me ask you some questions is it hard like, is it hard? Was it really challenging for you to get started? And how would you compare it now to when you started? When I got started, I read an article during Hurricane, Sto uh, Hurricane Harvey here in Houston on runnersworld.com that said, what I learned from running one mile a day for 250 <laughs> days. And I said, I could run a mile a day. I mean, that can't be that hard. Man. I was At the time, I was only biking. And so when Hurricane Harvey left, I went out for a run and I didn't stop at one mile. I did two and a half, I think. And I'm like, I got back and I'm like, Wow, that was pretty easy. And <laughs> and of course, as you know, the more you do something, then it becomes more habitual. Now, yeah. I couldn't imagine not running. As a matter of fact, a couple of days ago, it was raining in the morning, and I'm a member of the 5 a.m. club. And I'm like, mm -hmm. oh, it's 65 outside, but I didn't want to go running in the rain. So I improvised. I ran in my house. I literally ran from the bedroom down the hallway into the around the couch and back. My dog was like, "What are you doing? This is yeah. strange." But I ran two miles in my house, and and I, to me, it's such a part of me. I mean, I love running. I don't. I'm not training for a marathon. I'm not trying to impress anyone. I'm already married. I do it because it feels good. I do it because I want to. And I tell people, don't run. Maybe you're a swimmer. Maybe you want to go for a brisk walk. You need to find out what works for you. So for me, to answer your question, I love doing it. I don't have to. I never wake up and go, oh, I got to run. Now I'm like, hey, I get to run. It's all how you look at it. Yeah. I love that what you just said there. I get to run, you know, and I choose to run. I, I It's powerful. Just that language we use to talk to ourselves, right? Like, mm -hmm. And just even how we think and all that changes. And I think it's really neat when you start to gain that physical confidence, it starts to feed into a lot of the other areas as far as building confidence, you know, even our spirituality to an extent, you know, when we're feeling better about ourselves and, and we're feeling just energetically more in tune with, with just how we perceive the world, but also our place in the world. It's amazing how it can open up or, or at least shift our perspective just enough that we start to really just, well, for myself, uh, personally speaking, I, I, I tend to find myself in, in a state of gratitude much more freely. Like without having to actually even think about it, I'm just like, man, this is really cool. Like I just feel really good in certain situations, meeting certain people, even talking to you right now, Mark. It's like I've been looking forward to this conversation for a while, you know, and it's why? Because you're somebody that's passionate, you know, about what they do. You, you've also got a very clear purpose and a vision for your life. And you have certain habits that you've put into place to allow you to continuously progress towards that vision and that those passions. And those are the type of people I love getting around because they inspire me. You know, they motivate me. They get me excited to, to keep doing the things that I want to do because they're living proof that, wow, you just start to focus a little bit on this self-care ritual and it has this massive compounding effect over time.
And that's right. What you've experienced, you know, even if it's just one mile a day, but almost now a thousand days later, <laughs> whoa, hello. Like what else? Maybe for those that are listening, like what other things is it shifted for you by creating this habit? Well, it makes me feel good. So it gives me clarity. And when you're out running or for me running or any exercise, I have a lot of great ideas. And of course, <sighs> that's the worst time an idea comes because I'm, I'm like running around and like, oh, an idea. I'm like, so I'm like, okay, do I stop and do I add it to my watch? Or cause I only, <laughs> I only run with my watch now because I have, an, I have a cellular watch. I don't have to bring my phone with me. And I hate that because I'm like, okay. So I missed some good ideas because I don't, I don't want to stop my run to make a note of an idea. But for some reason, when I'm exercising, it must be something in the chemicals in my brain or something like that. The, the ideas start pouring out. I'm like, no, not now. When do I get home? <laughs> mm, totally. I, now, I, will, I will tell you this, though, that mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. love what I do. And right. thank you for mentioning that, by the way. I love what I do. And when people, my wife and I go to uh, a church and we're in a Bible study class, it's supposed to be for 50-year-olds, but my wife and I are the only 50-year-olds that was in the 60s. I don't know what's going on there. But they're always saying, what are you going to do about retirement? I'm like, don't use vulgar language in church. Retirement? Why would I want to stop doing what I love to do? I don't understand that. They're like, well, when are you going to retire? I'm like, I don't want to retire. I don't. And I think if you real, now, if you're a sandblaster or you're a welder or you're a rock, you know, mountain climber, okay, maybe you have to, you know, eventually the physical limitations like Tom Brady, he's eventually going to retire from the NFL. But here's the thing. If you're doing like something like you and I do, like coaching and stuff like Mm -hmm. that, and you love it, why would you want to retire? I don't understand. You know, when I was growing up, I was born in 1965. You went to school, went to college, worked someplace for 35 years, retired and died. I'm like, I don't mm. like that. I don't like that. <laughs> and so I changed my path. And most people ask me, what do I do? Now, if you're an entrepreneurial mindset, you understand what I do. But like most other parents, uh, most other people I talk to, I want to, I try to explain to them. I'm a productivity coach. I help people with overwhelming distractions. I'm like, huh? And I think I'm going to take a page out of Tim Ferriss's um, book and just say, I'm a drug dealer. It's just easier. <laughs> it's just easier to say that because people go, oh, that's odd, but okay, have a great day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, 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 I think it's hilarious because some of the things that you, you brought up actually, when we start looking, I forget who said it, but success leaves clues, right? This idea Tony that- Tony Robbins. Thank you. Thank you. It, it, it's, it's very true, right? Like when we start just to observe the world in general, like sort of how an article turned you on to this idea of doing a mile a day and, and seeing how it could literally change everything, especially your, your physicality, your well-being, your, your mental well-being. And, you know, over the years, I, I've come across some pretty interesting books and reads and just people and conversations. And what you reminded me of is, is this Japanese philosophy called Ikigai. And, you know, and what's really interesting is, is this area of Japan where it's a blue zone. So there's these five places around the world that Dan Butner with National Geographic went and researched. And why they were so attracted to these five places around the world is they have people living to be 100 years or older. And, and from a population density, they actually have the greatest population density of people that are sent uh, and these people just aren't waiting around. Like most of us, when we start to think about, like I think back to my own grandparents, you know, as they got into their late eighties and nineties, like they, they weren't moving around much. They were very much, well, just, just getting by to be quite honest, uh, based on, you know, illnesses and other lack of mobility and, and whatnot. Uh, but these people in these five areas, these blue zones, like they're thriving. 
they they're out gardening they're dancing they are some of them are living independently still and they have very strong community bonds but they also eat well you know they don't overeat they don't consume uh, a lot of processed foods and you start to look at these trends you know these themes dan butner talks about nine common themes between these five areas and he calls them uh, the the power uh, Power nine basically refers to it as. And what you reminded me of is one of these things. And the one thing that unifies these five and these people is that they have a deep sense of purpose. And this purpose is what gets them going every day. And and as the Japanese define it, it's called Ikigai. It's basically the reason you get up in the morning. And as you start to dive into some of this research, what's really interesting is the Japanese don't have a word for retire. There's no word for that. Mm. Because it's believed that you work your ikigai. That's why you get up in the morning. The day you don't get up in the morning is the day you just don't get up ever. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> it's it's really fascinating. But it, it, there's a book called Ikigai, and it's it's quite uh, good. And it talks about some of these Japanese men, especially that would sell their businesses, and yet continue to show up. They'd be given a, a, a little space in the the work environment, and they would still come in because that was part of their habit. They would come in and do some work, and even though they weren't getting paid to be there, they weren't involved in the business anymore. But there were some things that they were very passionate about, so they kept showing up every day. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, so I, I, I love that what you said there, you know, I just uh, tweaked my mind to, to some of those things. So the, the Blue Zones by Dan Butner, he's got a wonderful TED Talk or, or you can read the book called The Blue Zones. It's, uh, it's really quite interesting because it makes us realize that to have a high quality life doesn't mean we have to have a lot of money. Doesn't mean that we have to have access to to certain luxuries like gyms <laughs> or even certain types of foods. It's really very basic. And, and it's very accessible. And, and so a lot of our excuses that we build up to why we can't be healthier or can't be happier, man, I think there are a lot of self-imposed barriers that we're putting up based on misconceptions, right? Like just uh, not fully seeing the picture and our understanding of who we are in the picture. And uh, so anyways, uh, sorry, Mark got off on a tangent. There, no, no, but, that's uh, quite all right. I, I want to talk yeah. to you about diet um, on the show. Mm. Now, one of the things I want to talk to you about, you mentioned in your book, I'm a big fan of Gary Tobbs, is sugar. And mm, yeah. we have become a worldwide addiction of sugar, which when you break it down, if you look at the research, the only thing that cares about what something tastes like is your tongue. The rest mm. of the body doesn't care. And Gary Tobbs, I believe it was Gary Tobbs, the Case Against Sugar book, talks about that when they first discovered sugar, that you can actually see the cases, the diabetes, and all the uh, similar diseases along them. As sugar was introduced into those countries, then the health started decreasing. And here in America, we tend to put sugar in everything. I mean, my wife and I have to buy special bread. It's called Ezekiel bread. It's all mm-hmm. organic. There's no, I mean, you have to keep it frozen. I mean, there's no preservatives in it. You really, and you pay more for that because you have to get it without the sugar. And I had a guest on my show a couple of years ago and she was from Australia and she came over here and she goes, man, you guys put sugar in everything. I mean, there's sugar in milk. Why is there sugar in milk? There's sugar in bread. And, and because we are so addicted to it and it is a drug. I mean, you can sit there. You can't have two chocolate chip cookies. You can have like 12 or 15 because, you just keep pulling them, even though your body's saying, 
I'd rather have a carrot or a celery or I'd rather, you know, there's this whole vegetarian, vegan, you know, carnivore debate. And what's interesting, mm. my house, my wife mm. is full on carnivore. I'm full on vegetarian. Awesome. Makes very mm. interesting uh, conversation. We've agreed to disagree yeah. on that conversation. <laughs> but let's talk about, first of all, let's specifically zone in on sugar because it is a very addictive um, component of our lives. So let's talk about that for a few minutes. Yeah, well, uh, sugar is is very interesting, just chemically what it does to our bodies, right? Like it, it actually is toxic. So when you get down to the science of sugar, and that's why we have these cases of diabetes or extreme weight gain, because what happens is when we eat sugar, it, it, it starts to get to a certain level where now we have too much of it in our blood. And it, it, it literally is toxic. Like it, it hurts us greatly. I mean, you look at anybody that's type 1 diabetic, they can't remove the, you know, sugar from their bloodstream. So they hit that point where all of a sudden they're crashing. And, and what do we have to do? Well, we have to get some insulin pretty quick, you know, to help their body now regulate because they don't have that hormone. They don't have that ability to self-regulate. And, and so as blood sugar increases, our body says, hey, you got too much here. We, we've got to store some of this. We have to get this out of the bloodstream. And the easiest and most efficient way for our body to do that is to convert it into fat and store it in our fat tissue. You know, that's, I'm just giving you a very basic understanding of this is what happens. And yet, so we, we eat too much sugar, body goes, oh my gosh, too much. We pull it out, we get bigger. But this cycle, because as soon as we pull that sugar out of the bloodstream, people experience a crash. And what do they do? Well, it's like, oh my gosh, my energy's <laughs> gone down again. I guess I got to eat more. <laughs> and then they go for more. And so it's this vicious cycle that we find ourselves on. And it is highly addictive because it is a very, very powerful mood swing that we feel, you know, and, and it does affect our hormones so drastically. And so, yeah, recognizing that we have these patterns, like I was a sugar addict for sure, especially in my early teens. You know, I loved ice cream. I loved baked goods. And one of my favorite things was Costco. You know, the muffins at Costco, they're like mini cakes, you know, <laughs> like 1500 calories in one of these little muffins and uh, fat, sugar. I mean, you name it. And I would eat a couple of those a day on top of everything else. And so it was not a surprise that I you know, reached a point of being morbidly obese, as the doctor told my mom one morning. Uh, and I didn't really understand what it meant at the time, you know, being 14, but uh, it, it's not a happy place to be. And, and so sugar, the first thing that we have to recognize is if you want to truly stop the sugar intake, it, it's going to be a certain period of detox where you have to literally just stop, stop putting it into your body. And it can be really hard. Most people can't get it through those first few days because it is such a, an energy shift and, and usually not in a positive way for the first few days. It, you know, look at anybody that's quit smoking. I remember my brother trying to quit smoking for the longest time. It wasn't until he, he got out of the, the, the industry. He was working in the, the bar and restaurant scene. And, oh. and gosh, it was just so prolific. You know, I mean, oh, we're taking a break. Well, let's go have a smoke together. And, and it just became that ritual right? That social ritual. And for him, it wasn't until he got out of that, got around different people that that wasn't a habit that he was actually able to break it. But anybody that has that kind of an addiction to a certain chemical, it's really hard to break. It really is. It's not an easy process, but it's doable. Yeah. I read recently something, it was in a book, I think that here in America, the sugar lobby is wants the U.S. government to protest the World Health Organization because mm. the World Health Organization says you shouldn't have more than 25% of your uh, calories should be sugar. The sugar lobby in America wants it to be 50%, and they think we should take away all funding from who until they make it 50%. I'm thinking wow. 50% of your wow. diet is sugar? 
I'm thinking to myself, are you kidding me right now? That's insane. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I, I mean, we can look at the trends. Like we can't deny it when you start to look, especially you brought it up earlier. You know, you look at some of these countries where sugar wasn't, uh, especially like table sugar, like the super refined sugar wasn't an option, right? Like they, they just didn't have it. They wouldn't have the luxury of buying a box or having it sitting on the middle of the table with their, their coffee and whatnot. It, it's now just a regular staple item. And, and then on top of that, they enrich a lot of foods now based on the flavoring and the, the, the taste profiles that we become accustomed to. And, and so, yeah, it, it's, it's challenging, but to break it, you know, to break the habit or that, that cycle, it really just involves us saying, okay, <laughs> back to basics. You know, cut out all the, the preservatives or the processed foods, get back to whole foods and literally just start making your own food. You know, it's not super complicated. It takes a little bit more time. It may not be as convenient at first, but then you start to become aware of what's actually going into the foods that you're making. And I, mm-hmm. I think it's just that mindfulness, that awareness that we have with nutrition and, and just how we actually eat. We just take things for granted. We just, we're used to buying things in boxes and in cans and, you know, it, it doesn't really involve any prep time. It's already done for us. We, we nuke it or we <laughs> throw it in the oven and, uh, or we boil it and we just think, oh, well, there we go. It's done. But we, we don't really have a relationship with foods and, and especially specifically how it affects our moods. You know, I don't yeah. think we sit there and, and say, hey, I mean, you, you've got two, well, they're now in, in their 20s, but you may remember when they were younger, like they, they, kids don't really understand. They want the sugar because it tastes good. It gives yep. them this energy high and, but they really don't understand that that crash that they experienced after was directly tied to the food that they just ate, you know, unless we bring it up as a conversation as a parent. And we used to do that with our kids. We'd say, yeah, you, you can have the cake today, but remember when you have that mood, when you get upset and you start to cry, just remember what you were eating before that happened. Like, there is a connection here, you know? <laughs> and uh, so it's, it's, it is challenging though. It is challenging. What do you find for yourself when, when you've sort of broken some of these habits as it relates to nutrition, some of these, these foods that we know aren't moving us forward in the direction that, that we typically want to be healthier or happier? What, what's worked for you successfully, Mark? Well, I still struggle with sugar. And okay. right now, I believe everything, you, you do steps. So I gave up everything but water. And mm-hmm. side note on water, people say, how do you drink water every day? You got you to have good water. Okay. So I, yeah. here in Houston, we have Mountain Spring Water delivered to the home. It's much more affordable. So I did the water. And then out of the blue, I told my wife, I'm going vegetarian. She's like, <laughs> wait, what? And so I did vegetarian. So my big joke was when I go to parties. I'm like, hey, is this cake vegetarian? You know? <laughs> and so I'm working. I, I know I'm not supposed to have the sugar. Now I'm working on it. But here's the key. Uh, I learned this from a doctor a number of years ago. If it's not in the house, you're not going to get in your car, drive to the store, and buy the cookies. So my big thing is is don't buy it at the store. Now, we go shopping on Fridays, and I used to tell my wife, you know, tell me not to buy this stuff, but, you know, I'm 54. I, I have to make this decision on my own. So I've gone okay with the vegetarian, gone okay with the water. I need to stop uh, eating the sugar. I know you don't have any sugar at your house, and, and it, it is tough, but I'm not going to tell people that I've got it conquered, but you know, what really makes me laugh is when people go, but Mark, you understand I'm eating organic sugar. It doesn't matter if it's organic sugar, sugar is sugar. It does. You don't get health benefits because the sugar is organic. I just thought I'd put that out there. <laughs> well, I, I love that you put that out there. Cause uh, I was actually uh, talking to someone the other day and we were, we were sort of joking because it, we, we do have mutual friends that are vegans or vegetarian and, but you can be a junk 
food vegetarian. Yes. Uh, and when I mean, and you know what I mean by that, there, there's a lot of, uh, I mean, with the, the, especially in the last 10 years, uh, you know, food science has, has gotten much more creative and they've started to create foods that fit certain types of diets. And yet they still do what the typical food industry has always done and they, they enrich it for flavor. And, and there's, so there still is sugars. There still is preservatives being added to these things that may be classified as vegan or vegetarian. Yet it still has a, a, an effect on our blood sugar levels to the point that we get these spikes, these peaks and valleys again. And, and as soon as we get this peak and valley situation, this roller coaster ride we go on, it's really hard to get off of it. You know, we have these crashes mid afternoon. What do you do? Well, I'll go for another one of those little vegan treats. Great. <laughs> My energy goes back up, but then they crash again. And, it, and it's really no different because biologically speaking, you know, on the inside of our body, our body's like, okay, well, that's still carbohydrate. That is sugar. You get too much of that in the blood, it becomes toxic. We need to then release some insulin to then now regulate, pull that excess sugar out. We got to store it somewhere though. Oh, let's just put it in the fat tissue, the adipose tissue, you know? So there's a few steps that have to happen for that to, to go on, but this is just a continuous process. And yes. uh, it, it's it's scary. It really is scary because you look at the trends and World Health Organization, they're just one of many organizations that are trying to blow the whistle on this. But yeah, you you have to start to wonder about the lobbyists and and some of the financial uh, incentives. Always follow the money. Seriously, (laughs) seriously, man. Well, it's like when I was a kid, when I was a youngster. No, my mom and dad didn't say, hey, we're going to take you to this restaurant. It's called McDonald's and we're going to try something. <laughs> Kids know McDonald's, Burger King, Wendy's. None of these are sponsors of the show, but we know intuitively. But mm. I want to try this bro- broccoli, cauliflower. You know, it's just, you know, it, it, it's yeah. different, but it's like we're born loving the bad stuff. Like we love ice cream and like I always joke to my friends. I'm like, Hey, when I get to heaven, I'm going to say, Jesus, um, you should have made the broccoli taste horrible and the ice cream taste nutritious. Okay. That's right. You should have flipped. I don't Maybe you're confused or something like that, yeah. but you know, we all have a choice. And I, I love the phrase adulting. We need to yes. grow up and say, you know what? I get to control, unless I'm in prison, I am in control of what goes in my mouth and I can say, am I going to have the carrots? Am I going to have salad? Am I going to have, you know, a veg, um, a plant-based burger with like, I normally have plant-based burger. I have, you know, vegetarian baked beans and I have a salad. Or am I going to have an ice cream sandwich with it? And so I get to choose. No one's putting the gun to my head. So we got to get out of this mentality that, oh, it's not my fault. Yeah, it is. You hmm. went to the office party and you gorged down the Costco cupcakes that look like yeah, cakes. Right. Okay. You chose it. No one threw it in your face. And so I think we need to practice being adults and say, look it, I'm overweight because of the bad choices I made. Yeah. And then it's also recognizing because as much as we can make the choices that weren't in alignment with truthfully who, who we wanted to be or how we want to feel and how we want to show up, we do have to take full ownership. You know, like I, I didn't, I used to blame people. I remember when I was in my state of unhealth, I, I, it was really easy to just point fingers and, and blame others rather than looking in that mirror and, and saying, oh, you know what? I, I kind of got myself here. <laughs> you know, I, I did put the fork to mouth and I was the one that opted to bring these things in the house or begged my mom to buy certain things. And so when you reflect on it and you really get, quite clear on the choices that we've made in our lives. Yeah. Maybe not all decisions were, were the best decisions, you know, based on where we're at right now, but 
it is pretty empowering to, to realize at any given time, we can literally choose something different. Mm-hmm. And then we just got to follow it up and, and actually be consistent with it. And it takes time to rewire that brain of ours, you know, to, to get into this new habit and, uh, and behavior because we have to override the old stuff. And the old programming, ooh, it's hardwired in there. So yep. it, it takes time. It just takes time. But it doesn't mean it's not worth it. It might be challenging, but I can guarantee the end result is so worth it, especially as it affects our energy and our relationships, even how we deal with stress, how we sleep, how our body recovers. I mean, there's so many benefits. And yeah, you know, you're going to look a little bit better naked, you know, like there's some extra benefits here. It's it's all good. <laughs> um, well, but- Tim, Tim Ferriss talks about the slow carb diet, which means you're allowed to have one cheat day a week. And yeah. and I I was very successful on that. You know, so I yeah. took Fridays, I would eat whatever I wanted on Fridays. The problem is, well, I bought too much, so now it bleeds into Saturday. Oh, right. now there's, you know, Bible study class, they got the cookies. Oh, there's some leftover now Sunday. See, I think if you maybe want to cheat for one day and only cheat for that one day, so six days you're really good and maybe one meal you cheat. The problem is people can't do that, and I'm struggling with that now. So what I'm going to try to do, you, this podcast is getting me excited, that this Saturday is going to be my cheat day. And then from Sunday to Friday, I'm not eating crap. I mean, not totally, obviously, but I'm, I'm going to stay away from the cookies. And when we go shopping, I'm not going to buy them in the house. Or maybe I'll, what I used to do, die was really successful, is I would go to the restaurant. I would get, you know, I have the, I love the Impossible Burger and I'd get fries and maybe I'd get a Sunday. Mm-hmm. And then when I left the restaurant, I was done for a week. And that worked for about three months. And I lost weight, felt really good. Mm-hmm. And then I would go to the store and I'd buy some cookies. And then mm-hmm. I would buy some ice cream for home. And see, the problem is just the one meal was okay. But then it bled into from a 30-minute meal, now it bled into four hours, now eight hours, now it's three days. And see, now I took this really good thing that was working really well for me, now it's over three days. And I think yeah. what I need to do is be adult and go back to say, okay, I'm going to start with one day, and then I'm going to shrink that day maybe to just one meal. And I think if more people did that, especially if you're a sugarholic. And you're eating sugar at breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and every snack in between, and the midnight snack. Well, then start gradually. Don't go cold turkey because that doesn't work for most people. And I'd like to know your thoughts on this. But just, you know, okay, make a decision. Say, okay, my cheat day is going to be on this day, and I'm going to start buying nutritious stuff for the house, whether it's carrot sticks or salad or whatever the case may be. That way, when you're hungry, your body would rather have you eat the carrot stick than eat the cupcake. <laughs> right. This is true. I mean, I, I, I don't mind the, you know, that, that extra meal a week, that one meal where you allow yourself to, to sort of indulge in, in some of your cravings potentially. And, and, you, you know, you sort of itch that itch. And, and I think it can work quite well for those that are going to stick to that. Right. And I think that's the whole thing. You got to stick to your commitment to yourself. And so this raises a whole other you know, conversation when we start talking about self accountability and, accountability others like how do you continuously make the decisions that you've now said are important to you but continue to make them even if there's nobody else around Mm. to ask you hey (laughs) choose this or this you you know and and we're we're forced to be sort of self-reflective and and really stick to our own guns and it's not necessarily the, the easiest of things and and it's often why i talk about like what what motivates you can be very different from what inspires you. And mm-hmm. and I think they're both important, but there's definitely, I, I find we're 
we find motives in the the strangest of things at times and and yet the inspiration that we find from within i think that's the thing that really uh, can set us in motion very powerfully but also help us tie in some accountability and what i mean by that is when we feel ourselves inspired to 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 live a little bit differently and specifically like when i think about my own inspiration like when i had my first daughter i my whole life shifted you know, like it really did. It went from being about me <laughs> to, to now not even about, you know, when I met my wife and then it became more about we, and, and then it went to them, like her, you know, and, and I wanted to, to ensure that I was living into a life that I could be there for her, but be my best version for her, you know, and especially when I start thinking about quality of life and, and longevity, like I, I want to be around for my grandkids. I'd love to have an active relationship with my grandkids like I did with my own kids. And, and, and then I have to ask myself, well, the choices I'm making today, is it going to be reflective or in alignment with the future I envision for myself? And so when I see other people that like in the blue zones, like you start looking that up, you can see people in their 90s and in their hundreds, like just doing great in life, like thriving, still athletes, you know, showing up in their communities, just it's not an anomaly. It's not by accident. Yeah. They're, and they're I will tell us the people lifestyle. that, yeah, go ahead. you know, we, there is no back to the future. There no. is no DeLorean. <laughs> so you don't, don't dwell like, Oh, I would have, should I would have done this? You know, you didn't. Mm. So make a decision today as a result of our conversation today, say, okay, I'm going to do one thing better. I mean, we talked about a lot on this episode. Yeah. So yeah. listener, here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about, what one change are you going to make? Okay. Mm-hmm. Out of everything we talked about today, what make that decision today. And here's what I want you to do. Big challenge to you. I want you to reach out to Dai. He's going to tell us where we can find him in just a minute or me or both and say, okay, I listened to your show. This is the change I'm going to do because I think when you make that decision, it's going to change your life. Would you agree with that? I 120% agree with that. It, and it all it takes is one, one small shift. You know, the, the cliche that they talk about, about the ocean liners, right? Like you change that fraction of a degree and you just keep going that direction overnight. You end up in two completely different places, <laughs> you know, but, but that's all it takes is one little shift. And then that will start to also give you that inner confidence and that inner satisfaction, but more importantly, help you start to feel better. Mm-hmm. And as soon as you start feeling better, why would you want that to end? You know, like why? I, I, I know I don't. I'm like, I want to keep this going. So you, you start to make decisions now from that place, that place of like, uh, as you said earlier, Mark, you, you get to run. You know, it's like, I get to live like this. I get to eat these types of foods. I celebrate those decisions and those choices and, and really live into the results because you're the one that's making them. You're making them because of the choices that you're making. It's, it's really cool. It's a great place to be. And everyone gets an invite to that party. You know, like <laughs> there's no exclusion here. There's no like, no, you're not allowed in. No, everybody's allowed in there, but you still have to choose to walk through the door. We can Absolutely. hold it open for you and say, hey, come on in. But you still have to do the walking. You still have to go through the door and you have to keep going through the door. And uh, that, that does come down to the individual making choices. Absolutely. Well, where can we find you online? Well, I guess now, you know, I was born pre-Google. And uh, so when Google came out and having a unique name, I started to really appreciate that my parents had some foresight, you know. And uh, so Di Manuel is a fairly unique name. And I have that handle on all the social profiles that I'm on. So the main ones, Facebook and Instagram, 
uh, as well as my blog. Uh, so I, I'm active on all the channels. Feel free. I love these types of conversations. My blog has about 1,500 articles that are all lifestyle orientated. So it's all about helping you live your best life now. Uh, nutrition, fitness, mindset, all sorts of cool stuff. Dive in, free resources. They're there for you. But uh, I love talking and connecting with people. So if people want to carry on a conversation on this stuff, just reach out. Shoot me a message, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, you know, my blog, whatever. I always get back to you. Um, but I also ask for a little bit of grace because it is me. I'm an army of one. And uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm very protective of my social profiles. I like to be the person behind that. Mm-hmm. And I really am that person. So me too. If it takes me a couple of days to get back to you, that's all. Just, just don't worry. I will get back to you. It just might be a couple of days. Are you uh, on TikTok? Um, you know what? I'm on it. And my daughter, uh, my youngest daughter, uh, who soon will be 15, she's trying to really get me up to speed with it. it it's, uh, I, I'm struggling a bit. but It's hot, I, man. It is hot. It, it is. is my, next to LinkedIn, it's my number one most active platform. Wow. It's incredible. I get so many views on it. And I think the reason why, first of all, folks, it's not 13 and 17 year olds. Now it goes from 13 to 50. Now there are a lot of people on there and this is the time to go on TikTok because it's the wild, wild west right now. But (laughs) what's interesting, what's really interesting is I decided to go back in on TikTok and I'm like, I'm going to try this thing out. And all of a sudden I started getting a lot of views. So my top three platforms are LinkedIn, TikTok, and Pinterest. Unbelievable. It's it's crazy. And I'm having a ball with it. And I I just tell people, connect with me everywhere. But I really like TikTok because there's no ads and everyone's just trying to feel their way. But I really like TikTok. And the thing I think TikTok is really so hot for, it's not owned by Facebook. And Facebook is trying to copy it. But like, dude, you have to get rid of Facebook because I think people are so untrusting of Facebook. And number two that Facebook is saturated. Instagram is saturated. Well, mm. TikTok is this brand new um, platform. And I found something interesting last week when I was doing research on it. From the last decade, 2000 to 2010, TikTok was the seventh most downloaded app for the whole decade. It didn't come out until wow. September 2016. And <laughs> yet it was the seventh most downloaded app in the entire decade. Incredible. That's, That's insane. So yeah, I, I'm having a ball with TikTok. I'm learning how to wow. do all these special effects and stuff like that. I'm getting views. I'm getting comments. People are sending me messages. I'm like, this is pretty cool. So you should do some. I mean, you'd be per- perfect with this, showing us how to do the, the wellness. We didn't even get into the wellness and exercises. I mm. think you should have your daughter show you how to use TikTok. I think your videos I mean, would be awesome. 60 seconds. Give some yeah. videos on how to you know eat better, make recipes, wellness, walking. I, I think you'd be cut the, your, what you do would be custom made for TikTok. Well, thanks, Mark. I'm, I, you know what? You've just inspired and motivated me to, to get on that train. <laughs> and, uh, well, especially I've been reading a lot of stats and I know there's been a lot of press around TikTok and I mean, 500 million daily users and they're yeah. saying that in the next year it'll be a billion. I'm, I'm like, whoa, that's like a double double, you know, like, so I, I definitely see the appeal and uh, I'm going to follow you so I can get some more inspiration, Mark. You're going to reach out please to you do. this and afternoon listen, on TikTok. And sure. this, and listen, you follow me too in the show notes. I'll the links for all the social media sites are mine. Uh, Di, this has been so much fun. Thank you so much for coming on the show. We gave a Thanks, lot of you know information. And so I just want to thank you for your time. Uh, you are a rock star. So thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much, Mark. Really appreciate being here and uh, love the community you've, you've fostered and continue to foster. And uh, just very grateful to have had the opportunity to connect with you here. 
And just before we go, don't forget to head on over to my website, mrproductivity.com, M-I-S-T-E-R, mrproductivity.com. Sign up for the free seven-day productivity challenge. Give me two minutes a day for a week, and I will teach you simple strategies and how you can become more productive. I really appreciate your time and attention for listening to this episode of the Mark Stuchowski Podcast. I'd love to know what you think of it. So hit me up on the DM and say, hey, I want to know about this topic, or I like this episode, or how about this guest? You are the driver to the show, so please don't be a stranger. Let me know how I can serve you. If you don't know where I am on social media, just send me a message through my website, mrproductivity.com. Thank you so much for listening. Until we meet again, my friend, go be productive.